0: This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 391.
1: This is similar to the Burr method where people think if they don't get out 100% of their money, that they didn't do it right. That's not true. That's like saying if I didn't get a home run, it was a wasted at bat. Doubles, triples, walks, singles, they all are still wins.
2: You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors, large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online.
0: What's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here for a really unique show, something we've never done before with my co-host, Mr. David Green. What's up, David?
1: Not much, dude. This was an awesome day. I'm actually pretty pumped up. I'm hoping that the listeners like it and we can figure out if we should do it again.
0: Yeah, so we decided to pull a Dave Ramsey today and do a call-in show. And so we uh, kind of finagled both using, I used Instagram to drive people to a Zoom thing where we recorded people one at a time coming in. Uh, asking questions. And so these questions very well might be things that you guys are dealing with. Uh, things like, you know, what to be aware of when doing a, the burst strategy. Should I house hack for my first deal? What do I do if I have 20 grand and no job uh, because of COVID? Those issues and a lot more uh, uh, coming up today. Uh, everything from people just getting started to somebody on the show today, he, I mean, he, in his first year, he's already done like over two dozen different deals. Uh, you're going to learn about like what he says is the reason behind that and just a whole lot more. So uh, you guys are going to love today's show. Really, really cool, I think. And then let us know in the show notes, biggerpockets.com show 391. If you want to ask questions or you want uh, to get a little more information there, you can uh, and leave comments. So do that again, biggerpockets.com show 391. And with that, let's get to today's Your quick tip is very simple. Uh, If you have questions like this, and we didn't get to your question today, if you have specific real estate questions, if only there was a forum that was free to use and you could ask any question like this anytime you wanted to 24 seven, and there's thousands of people on there willing to give answers. There is, it's called bigger pockets forums. So go check them out. Biggerpockets.com slash forums. You can type your question. I know forums are like a weird, like nineties thing, but like all it is, is like Q and a it's like you ask questions. You got lots of perspective, different answers. So it definitely changed my life. It's been a huge impact on me. And I think it will be as yours for yours as well. Biggerpockets.com slash forums. That is your quick tip.
3: What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through rent to retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. I need to double check with Zach, rental retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down?
0: (laughs) It's not that complicated, Rob.
3: Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com/vp. connectinvest.com/vp
4: Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP.
0: All right, all right, all right. David Green, you ready to let people listen to our live call-in show?
1: Buckle your seatbelts. This is high-octane, fast-paced. Who's the guy that directed Transformers? Michael Bay. Michael Bay-style podcast today.
0: There we go. All right, without further ado. Oh, I just admitted everybody. Oops. Oh boy. <laughs> we're bringing, I just hit the admit everybody button. And so there are going to be a ton of people here.
1: Right after you said you won't be on the podcast, you'll just be in the waiting room. You went and brought all of them into the podcast.
0: All right. How about, we're going to start with this way. We're going to start with this way. Anybody buy a real, estate anybody in this group who's here right now, anybody buy a real estate deal in the past month or closing on one in the next month? I'm curious. We got Brandon Johnson down at the bottom. Okay, I oh, got a few people. Jared up there. Okay, let me start because the first name I saw was Brandon. I'm going to try to bring you in, Brandon Johnson. What's your uh, What's your story? What have you done recently?
5: Um, so we bought a, a two-family house from a wholesaler and caught this awesome deal. I live in Cleveland, Ohio. We got it for $30,000. Uh, we just renovated it, put tenants in it, rented it out for $1,900 a month. And now we have an offer on it for $118,000. And we only put $25,000 into it. So. Wow. Uh, wow. un unfreaking real
0: <laughs> That's amazing, man. That's yeah. awesome. How'd you find that deal?
5: Somebody less listed it for sale by owner. It was the wholesaler that listed it for sale by owner on like Zillow or something. My partner found it. Uh, we were very persistent about getting that contract from him, So,
0: <laughs> Yeah, I bet. How long have you been in real estate for? I've been an
5: investor for about five years. Just kind of pa- more passively. I work a full-time job still, so. I travel a lot for work, so it's harder. But since COVID kind of hit, I've been stuck at home. So my question is, with my current deal that I just made, would you have held on to it and, and took the $1,900 in rent or sold it for
0: 100% profit? All right, so give us, give us the quick update on the property again, what you just did. So
5: we bought it for $30,000 in May. We put 25000 into it, so we're about fifty five in all in. And we just got an offer on it yesterday for $118,000.
1: You're all in for fifty-five. You can sell it for just shy of one hundred and twenty, right?
5: Yep, yep. And then, how much would you cash flow if you kept it? It'd be nineteen hundred because there's no mortgage on it, so we pay cash. Taxes are about hundred bucks, so eighteen hundred. Mm-hmm. Insurance about seventy-five. Uh, I guess you're we're at tw- uh, seventeen twenty-five. Everything's pretty much new in it, so there shouldn't be too much repairs. Vacancy rate ten percent, so one hundred eighty. I'm still over thousand dollars cash flow. I mean,
1: so let's call it when I say like thirteen hundred conservative yeah. number. All right. Here's yeah. how I do this. I take 1300. I multiply it by 12. So in a year you're going to be making 15,600. And again, these are not exact numbers. So don't worry about that. We're just talking about the principle. I'm going to divide that by how much equity you have in the deal that you would get if you sold it. So mm-hmm. we were at all in for remind me 55,
5: 55. Yep.
1: Right. Let's say that after you sell it, all your fees, you're at, you're going to spend a hundred or sorry, 20 grand to be able yep. to get the thing unloaded. So 55 up to 100 is going to be 45,000. So we divide that yearly cash flow by 45,000 and that's going to give you a 34.6 percent return on your money. So mm. the question becomes if I sell it and I take my 45 grand, can I get a 34.6 return percent somewhere else? Probably not. Right. That would lead me towards hold it, refinance it, get some money out that way because your cash flow is super strong. When that okay. number that we look at becomes small, like it's a 4% return or something, that's where I say, okay, we should sell it and redeploy that money to invest somewhere else. Okay. You're also, I didn't even go into the fact that your $45,000 profit on a flip is going to get hit with capital gains taxes. So there's yeah. another expense in there I didn't mention too. Brandon, you going to say something?
0: Well, I was going to say it really, to me, it would just come down to goals. Like if you, if you needed some cash right now and you needed to buy a rental property, and you want, you know, you wanted the cash, it wouldn't be a bad oh. time to build up your war chest right now, if that's the goal. Uh, but if the goal is just, Hey, I want passive income to build it up. That would be a pretty darn good. I would probably have burned it instead if the goal was just, you know, building those little oil wells. So that's what I would do. Oh, yeah.
5: yeah, I think I was having trouble finding places to cash out, refi it. So um, mm. and maybe I just didn't put the time in to do it. So I need to kind of investigate. It's that cash
1: flowing so strong without even a loan on it that, I mean, your return's really good. So there's, I wouldn't be in a huge rush to cash out, refi just keep it, make some money, put it aside when you get the opportunity to cash out, that makes it a burr. And then you can avoid capital gains and avoid some of the selling costs and go put in your next deal, especially if you can't get another one like
5: that.
0: Right. <laughs> All right, thank you guys. Yeah, thank you. Again, none of those things where it's like it doesn't matter. Like you win either way; it's both good options. Yep. So, congratulations on that deal, though. Very, very cool, Brandon. Thank you for joining us today. And we're gonna bring in another uh, another caller here. Okay, Lionel, welcome to uh, the Bigger Pockets podcast. How you doing, man? Where are you calling from?
6: I'm calling from Los Angeles.
0: Los Angeles, California, yeah.
6: mm-hmm. land of yeah,
0: Lincoln. I know. I'm just kidding. I know. No. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> that's a reference to the movie, that thing you do is my favorite movie of all time. But anyway. I love that movie. I love the movie. Questions. What do you got uh, questions for us today?
6: I've had this goal that I've wanted to retire myself doing passive income and retire my wife. We just had our second child. So, and just from going on the bigger podcast, uh, discussion boards and everything, I ran across some people in Indianapolis. And just this year, I closed on my first out of state deal which well, is cash flowing pretty good right now thanks yeah and uh you know now i'm at the point where i couldn't believe that that happened i've got two other deals sitting on the table so it's moving really fast and you know i just want to ramp it up to the point where i have a good system in play you know having issues with the cash out refi as well right now maybe because of the whole COVID 19 thing but my direction is cash flow i want to create as much cash flow passive income for long term wealth and I kind of want to follow you guys as lead. So, you know, what do you recommend for someone like me who's uh, just getting started?
1: All right. You, the first question we got to ask is capital. How are you sitting as far as how much capital you have, as well as how quickly you can add capital to invest?
6: So funny enough, through you guys as well, I met a really cool hard money lender and we've created a great relationship. So he's funding most of my deals, about 75% and he's doing rehabs as well. So as far as capital, I have an IT company and I do cash flow from my IT company about eight to 10 grand a month. Um, so, and I'm, my expenses aren't even near that. So most of the money I'm just putting aside like a money, you know, market account and stuff like that. And then, you know, using that to invest in real estate.
1: Okay. And how much, how much did you say you have right now?
6: Cash wise? About yeah. fifty, sixty thousand. 60,000.
1: Okay. So there's enough that you can cover your 25%, right? Yeah. Now, is your goal to build, you said, like passive income so that your wife doesn't have to work? Yeah. All right. Are you currently renting or owning the house you live in? Own. Owning. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you love it and you don't want to live anywhere else or would you be open to moving?
6: I'm open to moving. (laughs) Okay.
1: First thing you do is you can house hack, right? Mm -hmm. This is every year you can house hack a new house. 10 years later, you'll have 10 properties that you can make as rentals, and you're just looking for something that can generate rental income. It could be a duplex, a triplex, a single family house with a basement that you can live in and rent out the rest of it. But the awesome part about house hacking is you get by with only like 5% down, 10% down. You don't have to put a ton of money in, so you don't even have to burr because you don't need to worry about getting your capital out if you didn't put very many in. And this is especially helpful if you live in an expensive market. So I'm an agent in the Bay Area. We have a lot of people we help do this because their rent might have been $3,500. If we drop that down to coming out of pocket $1,200 to $1,500, that's a significant savings. That's $2,000 or more that they're saving. It's very hard to go generate $2,000 a month of cash flow. You got to be a super good investor to do that. You can be a mediocre and moderately successful investor and do really good with house hacking because you're just getting rid of an expense that you already have. So eliminating housing is just the same as cash flow. In fact, it's better because cash flow is going to get taxed, but getting rid of, of, uh, expense you already have doesn't. So that's the first thing I would say to do is put some of that money towards getting a place to house I can live in. And then anything you buy outside of it, that's where you're going to be looking at, you know, the investing strategies we talk about.
6: Uh, I think that's awesome. Like I, I never even thought about that. That actually makes sense. I mean, we, we were kind of, our idea was okay. We're gonna live here two years and then find a house that we want to live in a little bit longer. But I'm very open to that because uh, that's kind of how I got. Uh, I actually have a, a triplex down the street and I bought it FHA, lived in it for a while. And I did Airbnb while we could do it in LA because you can't really do it anymore. And then uh, moved into this place. So it was so that's that's a great idea. I love that strategy.
1: And look for houses that other people are miss. That's the last thing I'll leave you with. Look for a house that has a floor plan that would be conducive to putting up some drywall, making two units or something that's already set up where you can, like something with an ADU. A lot of the stuff that you're looking at, if the description says mother-in-law unit ADU, they're going to go quick. So what we do on my team is we target the houses that other people aren't describing like that, that there's a bonus room that isn't being marketed or it has more square footage than what the agent is saying. You want to look for something like that on the MLS.
6: I love that. Now, I, I do have a quick question about that. Uh, you guys just use like Zillow, Redfin, stuff like that to find your deals or, or because I'm always curious because I get sometimes people send me stuff and you know I see it's different from what I'm finding online. You know, Where's your kind of go-to source for that?
1: Well, I'm an agent, so I'm using the MLS. And what I actually do is I, I have a little cool system set up for our clients where I set up keyword alerts, like what BiggerPockets has for words in the confidential remarks that only agents see that would lead me to believe this could be a house hack. So anytime something says like unpermitted square footage, bonus room, extra space, addition, I know to look at those houses first. So they pop up on my little house hack list for my clients. And then we go look and we see, ooh, they show 1200 square feet on the tax records, but that's an 1800 square foot house. Mm. the, The agent didn't market it correctly. We see that they built onto the house. You could easily put up some drywall, run some plumbing from the kitchen, right through it. You've got another kitchen and now you've got a, a whole separate unit that you can be living in or renting out and boom, your house hacking in an expensive
6: market. Um, okay,
0: uh, Very cool. Okay. Well, thank you, Lionel for joining us today. That's awesome. Thanks guys. Let's move on and uh, bring in next one on our list here. And we're just going in order of what they're showing up on my screen. I think we have a, uh, was it Justin Bourne is the next one on my, on my screen here. Uh, so let's see if we can get you in. Are you there, Justin?
2: Yeah, I'm here. Pretty awesome to be on the show. Thank you. All right. What's up, man? So I actually live in Denver. I moved here three years ago. So I actually haven't bought a rental property yet. I have the cash flow too, and I've been looking at houses for about three or four months now. And I've been looking at like a pretty specific area, and there's only been one house that I really felt like I could have made the numbers work. So do you think I need to maybe stretch my search to be in a different area, maybe more outside of Denver that I could cash flow more, or do I just need to be okay with the fact that I'm going to be saving money on rent? And then after I move out in a year, I will cash flow on that property.
0: Yeah. So you want to, you want to, you want to house hack essentially, right? Absolutely.
2: Yeah. I'm definitely planning on
0: house hacking. Yeah. So I guess I was, I mean, David, y'all have, I'm sure a lot more thoughts on this, but if you're saving money, like you don't have to live for free in a house hack. If you're just saving what you would be spending elsewhere, that's a win for me. And then, so I would yeah. analyze a house hack two ways, right? Like when I'm living there, what would it be like to live there? And I don't have to live for free. I live in Maui, Hawaii right now, right? And I bought a, a basically a three-unit property. I don't cash flow right now, technically. I, I spend thousands of dollars a month to live here. And I probably spend about what I'd spend if I were to rent this property out or if I were to rent a property, but I own it. So it's still worth doing it for me. Uh, and then- Once I move out, I also run the numbers as if if I'm no longer living here, I would probably break even, maybe make a little bit, maybe make a thousand bucks a month. And so for me, buying a property in Maui, that is worth it as well because I believe in Maui appreciation. And so uh, I'm willing to play that game. I'm not want to lose money betting on appreciation, but I would play that game uh, a little bit there as well. So yeah, David, what do you think?
1: This is similar to the Burr method where people think if they don't get out 100% of their money that they didn't do it right. That's not true. That's like saying if I didn't get a home run, it was a wasted at bat doubles, triples, walks, singles, they all are still wins. So the first major fallacy with house hunting is that you have to live for free. You don't. In fact, areas where people live for free tend to be areas where homes are cheaper. So you can go, you know, your rent would normally be 1100 bucks. You can collect 1500 house hacking, right? All you're really doing is coming ahead $1,500. Whereas if you go to an, an expensive market like mine, like we just put someone under contract yesterday in San Jose, where he would normally have a mortgage of $5,500. Instead, he's going to be coming out of pocket about $2,000. That's a huge win. He came out ahead $3,500, but he's not living for free. He's still way better off. And if you look at that high-priced home, he's paying off a bigger chunk of the principal every year. It's going to appreciate much more every year. When the rents go up next year, instead of coming out 1500 out of pocket or 2000 out of pocket, it's going to be 300 less than that or more because the rents are going to go up. So even though he's not technically living for free, his overall wealth building is gonna be way better buying in a more expensive market. So that's what, I, Denver's one of those markets. You're gonna be spending a ton to live somewhere. If you just take out a big chunk of your housing expense, that's a huge win. And instead of looking at what can I get versus what's the ideal perfect scenario, I like to look at what can I get versus what if I do nothing. If it's better to take action, then go do it. If it's cheaper than you're paying right now, then go do it. And then 10 years later, it's going to look really, really good that you made that move as well as, you know, hopefully you do it every year.
2: Absolutely. Okay. And then one other thing. So I was talking to one of my buddies. He's actually gotten a couple of these home runs that you guys were talking about. And so I guess I was basing like my success on his, which obviously I shouldn't be doing. So his thing that, that he pointed out to me was having like a couple different exit strategies. So one of the big ones is he was like, you know, if you have like a four or five bedroom house. It's nice to have it in an area or set up to where you could sell it to a family because it gives you that opportunity for that exit strategy. Should I be focused on that exit strategy as much or should I be like, you know what? I feel like I can rent this house out for the next 10 or 15 years and feel comfortable with that. What do you think, Brandon?
0: Well, I mean, the whole, we talk a lot about exit strategies, right? About You should have a multiple exit strategy. But if your exit strategy is simply, I'm going to hold it and I'm good for as long as I need to. I always look at that as good enough. Like I'm like, hey, as long as I'm good holding it forever, I don't have to think like ten years down the road. I mean, we don't know what life's gonna be like down then. As long as the cash flow is now, I'm that's an exit strategy. I'm I'm. It's like I I stop right there. What do you think?
1: I like to look at. Uh, I heard an NFL coach one time who had I don't remember who the quarterback was, but it was a pretty good quarterback, but it wasn't an awesome quarterback. And they said, "Are you gonna draft a quarterback?" And he's like, "I don't know. I have to wait and see what other quarterbacks are out there. If we find one we think is better than what we got, yes. If we don't, no." It's not a hard and fast, this is my plan, I'm going to go do it. And that's kind of how life works. You may hold, 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 and at a certain point, you realize, man, my rents have not kept up with my appreciation. There's a lot of equity here. Or I got a chance to go sell this house and turn it into three more, and they're all going to appreciate, and in which case we would say to sell. So I try to always look at it like a dynamic, constantly evolving thing where you're, you're looking at all your options and you're asking yourself, how do I efficiently deploy my capital? The awesome thing with real estate is if nothing ever comes up and you just hold it forever, you're going to win. It's just, am I going to win or am I going to win even bigger? And that's the way that I would advise you to, to go about looking at it.
2: Okay, awesome. I really appreciate it, guys. Yeah, awesome, okay, thank Justin. You.
1: And by the way, how often do you get called like Jason Bourne instead of just Justin <laughs> Bourne?
2: It honestly happens at least once a week. And it's usually doctors <laughs> or dentists.
0: <laughs> that's funny. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for joining us. And let's, let's bring in, uh, I think, Jay Hill. All right, Jay, are you there? Do you hear me?
7: Yeah, I'm a, a long-time listener and a first-time caller. Matter That's of fact, awesome. you guys have traveled with me across the road many times. My son had been telling me to listen to you, and I was like, oh, no, I don't want to, blah, 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 whatever. But anyway, I got hooked.
0: All right, and good. It
7: changed my life.
0: Okay. Well, thank you.
7: So now I am uh, looking at tax sales and want to know what your thoughts are about those kinds of deals.
0: Sure. So tax I'll, sales I'll, Yeah. Tax sales. So I'll, I'll start real quick with, I'm not an expert. I've never bought a tax sale before. However, I know some people are really, really good at it. So it's one of those things that I know makes money. I know people are good at it, but you got to really know what you're doing. I actually went to a tax sale one time and this person there uh, it was like an old grandpa and a young family, it was like an older guy, young family, two kids, maybe twenties. And grandpa was there to buy their grandkids at their house. So, so they bid on it. They were bidding and they got this house at a tax like auction. And then afterwards, uh, you know, they celebrated and they they left. So afterwards, they got a good deal on, it. I think I can remember what it was, 30 grand, maybe or something like that. So I went and drove by the property. The house didn't exist anymore. It was tore down. And they, they didn't know that information when they went there. So grandpa bought their kids a lot and where he thought he bought them an actual house. So like, like those are like the, I would not just like show up at one and just do it. But that's, that's what I know from tax sales is about, about like that. David, anything you want to.
1: It's very know? similar to people that asked me about, Hey, how do I buy a foreclosure? Well, if you're trying to buy an REO property, it's just like buying anything else. It's probably on the MLS and the agent's going to be marketing it. If you're trying to buy a true foreclosure, you're saying, I want to go to the courthouse steps and buy a property with cash, which is no title insurance and no home inspection and no contingencies. And I have no idea what I'm actually buying. And so you don't want to go anywhere near that unless you're very, very experienced. Like our buddy, Aaron Amuchastegi, he hosts the Real Estate Rockstars podcast. He does this, but it's all he does. He just goes to auctions. He knows inside and out what he's doing. I'd feel comfortable if Aaron was telling me which one to buy. But a regular person, it sounds on the outside like this is a good way to get a deal. But you're walking into something with like no protection at all. You don't want to... You know, what's a good analogy for that? Like you're, you're drinking out of like a pond water or something. <laughs> There's no way to know what kind of bacteria you could be ingesting if you don't know what's in there. So I would avoid the tax sales until I had been around that world for a long time. And I knew inside and out, like if I could describe to someone else, here's all the things that go wrong. Here's all the ways I prevent it. Here's all the people I've talked to that have done this and have told me what to look out for. And you sit, like you could write a book on tax sales. At that point, I'd be comfortable to go in there and do it. But anything short of that, I would avoid those.
8: So
7: right now, the one that I'm looking at is like, literally, it's a duplex that's maybe four houses away from my house. And the tenant in there now says she has not paid rent in over two years, I believe. And she believes that the owner has passed away. So I investigated and I found that it was on the tax sale the sheriff's cell list. So even with that kind of background, you think that may be a bad idea?
0: I don't think it's a bad idea. It's just more like you just know that there are going to be a complications there. And so I would find somebody who's really good at this stuff and just keep asking, keep asking. Just don't assume it's gonna be easy. Assume it's gonna be hard and then and, and, and go at it with that. I, can, I think it can be a great way to get deals. Just you have to like yeah. really know what you're doing to get in there.
7: I actually bought one about mm, a year and a half ago, but I didn't know it was a tax sale. I bought it from a person who bought it at a tax sale and then they in turn sold it to me. And I thought it it was, it's a duplex. And I thought it, I mean, it was in great condition, even though I had to go in and put money into it. But I realized that I paid substantially more Mm -hmm. than what they paid at the sheriff's sale.
1: Yeah. And that's because they took risk they were buying something that they weren't, they didn't get a lot of the insurance that you got. You got a regular contract. You had contingencies that you could back out. You could take your time. They kind of had to go in there and just shoot really quick from the hip. And they had to have resources at their disposal that they could use to make sure that they didn't get
0: burned. Great,
9: thank you. Thank
0: you. All right, before we move on, I need to go and fix my screen real quick. Hold on one second, guys.
1: Kevin, do you want to bring someone in while he's doing that? And I'll talk to him. Hi,
9: I'm a first time caller, long time listener. I appreciate being called on the show I am brand new. I've been in the learning mode. So I'm trying to, I'm interested in finding a fourplex and living in one unit. So I don't really see those. I haven't met with a realtor. I don't have access to the MLS. And I'm trying to figure out how do I get into the game doing real estate investing?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Dave, you want to start?
1: Yeah, the first thing you're gonna do is probably go on Bigger Pockets, go to Network, and then click on Real Estate Agents. And it's gonna bring up a list of all the people who have a company profile on Bigger Pockets that are agents, then where you have a much higher likelihood that they work with investors. So that's gonna help. And then I once you. I actually
9: you've... did that yesterday because okay. Brandon mentioned it on the, the webinar oh, yeah. on Wednesday. <laughs> so I sent out a few messages, but no one has responded yet. So I am going to go back to see if people responded. I didn't find anyone in Florida. A lot of the companies were Mm. Atlanta-based. I don't know if they're actually here. So I'm being patient because it's the first one I'm going to do, and I don't want to rush.
1: Sure. So when you find that agent, they're going to have you get pre-approved with the lender, and then that's going to tell you if you're able to get a loan, how much you can get the loan for, Questions kind of like, if I, how much can I get for a fourplex versus a threeplex versus a duplex versus a single family home? Once you've got that, you know what what price range you're in, you and your realtor can both get on the market and start looking for stuff. Your realtor can go directly on the MLS and send you a list of homes. You can look at that. You can also look at Zillow, Realtor, Redfin, all those kind of websites, and you can start hunting down fourplexes. And then when you find them, you send them over to uh, the realtor and ask the questions you have about what you want to go see.
9: How do I know if I'm looking at a fourplex or a, tri- a triplex if I'm on Zillow?
0: Yeah, if you it'll usually tell you right in the description. It'll say this is a four unit property or a three unit property. It'll tell you in the description almost all the time. Uh but also once you get a real estate agent, like you don't have to even worry about that anymore. Your agent will be able to do that for you. They'll be able to send you here's a And honestly, if you're looking for a fourplex, don't don't not look at a triplex. Don't not look at a duplex. They could be great deals too. Like small multi in general. So I would if I were in your shoes, I'd just tell your agent Find an agent in that town, tell them you're looking for any small multifamily properties and then yeah, go that route and make it work.
9: Okay, Um, I'm gonna continue listening to you every week because you're opening the faucet for me in learning the market. So I really appreciate it. All
0: right, well thank you, appreciate it. Good to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you. All right, next I'm gonna bring in Garrett. Garrett, welcome to the show, man, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm good, I'm good, where are you calling from?
10: calling from Connecticut. So I just want to say a huge fan of the show and thank you guys both for taking the time out of your day to uh, do this with us. Pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Thank you. So uh, what can we, uh, what can we answer for you today or discuss?
10: So uh, I have a normal job, I'm a little bit of my background, just did the house hack from you guys. Didn't know much about real estate, listened for a while, uh, ended up buying a duplex. So I'm Living here for free, essentially, and then we have another duplex or triplex actually that was supposed to close yesterday, but little delay in that because the whole pandemic. But mm-hmm. you know, we'll be living there for free, making money on on this place about five hundred dollars in cash flow after everything. I think a lot of people would be curious if you guys could talk quickly on what your outtake or view on the current market is. I know things are at a pretty high point, and we struggle a little bit with finding, uh, quote unquote, a good deal. So where do you guys see, see the next, you know, year, two years, three years? and kind of an outcast financially for the whole real estate market. I feel like we're at a pretty high point, but is it going to go up, down? Did you guys give some sight onto that?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, let me get my crystal ball real quick. I'm just kidding. There
6: you uh, go. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I mean, so, yeah, obviously we don't know, right? We don't we don't know. Uh, but that said, if I had to take a guess where we're headed, I think that we're going to see a decline a, a little bit, 10, 20%. I don't think it's going to be like 0708 if I had to guess. I think we might see a little bit of a decline but there's still a lot of people wanting to buy houses. And that's not in every market. I think David's market's gonna continue doing really well cause he's in California and like tech's still doing well. So I think it's market dependent, of course, but I think we're to see a slight decline, but I think that's just gonna create more opportunity. And if we don't see one, then it's okay. Cause I'm just gonna keep buying anyway right now. It just means we have to get better. We just can't rely on the easy deals. We gotta get better, but uh, David, what do you think?
1: I think going to be very confusing to measure that because when all things are equal, if prices go up we're in a good market and if prices go down you're in a bad market it's very easy to tell. I think that with the amount of money that the Fed is creating, prices could stay the same and that would be the same as a bad market because money's being worth less and prices could go up and that could make you think we're in a great economy but it might actually be the equivalent of a recession. It's very difficult to tell if you're just watching prices themselves and I was having a talk with someone about how confusing it's going to be to tell what are we in a good market or a bad market? Because the value of money is so different than what it was. I, I have a fourplex I bought in Manteca, California in 2013. And when I bought it, 2013 wasn't a bad market. It was kind of just starting to take off again after the recession. It was really hot. But when I bought it, rents were $700 a unit. And I just put one on at $1,600 a unit. It's in seven years, it's more than doubled, right? And that's for every single unit. So when I bought it, it looked like a pretty solid deal. And now it looks like an absolute grand slam. But is that really this as good as it's looked right rents have doubled does that mean i'm a great investor or is money just worth less and then we kind of throw it around a lot more i remember as a kid when we were talking about building wealth we'd say things like oh they're making six figures they're crushing it
0: yeah that was a huge deal
1: six figures was a big thing right and i read an article that said back when i was a kid six figures meant you your family had two nice cars you took several vacations a year and you lived in a really nice neighborhood now I mean every market's different, okay, but where I live, six figures is like you're comfortable, <laughs> that's it. You're, you're not rolling in the dough. you're not just like throwing money around. and that's due to inflation. so I like to look at things like how much money do I make per month and then how many months of savings would it take to get a down payment on a median house in my area And that way, whatever money I'm making is tied to the price of real estate in my own head so I can get a feel for how much money's really worth because it doesn't have the same inherent value as it did a year ago or, or two years ago. So I know that doesn't answer your question of whether we're going up or down. I probably made the crystal ball even cloudier. So what I would say is if you don't know, you just make sure that you buy deals that cash flow so that it doesn't matter if they go up or down. And you continue to put yourself in a position of strength from your own personal financial position where you're living beneath your means. You have plenty of money set aside. So if it gets bad, you're okay. You'll go buy more. And if it gets good, you'll have capital to go redeploy.
10: One big thing that we learned in the last couple months, and thank you guys both for the insight, was I think we wanted to expand at we'll, we'll say probably a, a quicker pace than, than we should have. Um, and throughout the last three or four months, we realized that how important and critical that reserve pile is for things like this and situations like this. So that was yeah. that was a very uh, humbling experience for us to Don't
1: That's a good Point,
0: man. Yeah, this is this is why we need reserves is for times like this. And, and if you have, we them, all like, got hey. that
1: gut check when. The pandemic first game yeah, and right no right. one knew what was going to happen right people that had reserves were like i'm glad they're there and people that didn't were not feeling very
10: good and and i'm the new one the naive one right the innocent one where i thought we could expand at a very rapid pace and after all this it's time to slow down a little bit and i think uh, some great deals will be around the corner but in our market here things are flying like crazy right now not lasting on the mls and things like that so
1: there you go. I think that's the case in a lot of markets where economies weren't as affected by the shutdown. If the, if the jobs where you live, people kept working, then you're seeing a really hot economy. If you live in a place where they were affected, then you're definitely noticing a, a slowdown. Like Brandon gave good advice. It's market by market in your economy space. So. Thanks, Great. Garrett. Really good question. We
10: could Thank you, tuned. guys. Have a good weekend. Thank you.
0: All right, next guest, let's bring in uh, Michael. Michael, you there? Yeah. Welcome to the show. Where are you calling from?
10: I'm in Chesapeake, Virginia, kind of Southeast Virginia by
5: Virginia Beach.
0: Okay, very cool. And you got a good book behind you. For those watching the YouTube version of this, you can see- a, While a you really were waiting to come on,
1: did you put that book front and center just so <laughs> oh, you're a smart guy? I okay. sure Great did. Great
10: job. All right. So I've been in Asia for like six years and part-time investor starting this year. I bought four houses in the last three months. And I think three of those would be really good bird deals. But my concern, not really concern, but kind of the unknown for me is, have you guys ever had an issue where the tenant- in the house made the appraisal not as good as it could have been because the way they cared for the house.
0: Mm, yes. All right. So this is something when we were talking burr investing that I don't think people think about enough. Like if you're going to buy a property, fix it up and rehab it and then rent it out, then you, like it's after it gets rented that your tenants, you're, they're living there. So if they make the property look like crap, your appraisal could come in really low. So yes, I, I, I I've not had anybody really destroy my appraisal yet, but it could easily happen if your tenants make a property look bad. Like as much as we all like to think appraisers are like doing a good job and telling you the actual value of the property, it's a complete lie, right? They could be off by like 10% in either direction, uh, yes. based on how they feel that day or what they ate for breakfast or what the tenant I've seen, I've seen
10: three guys go out in the same month on the same house and come back about yeah. 10% off.
0: Yeah. It's, it's insane. Like It's just an opinion, which is why I don't put a lot of yeah. So I guess that said, I would always want to, and I, I'm just going to add this as my like checklist of things to do is before getting the refinance for the burr, make sure I inspect that property, make sure it looks really, really nice. And if not offer okay. to pay for cleaning for whatever I got to do. And you can let the tenant know, look, I need this thing to appraise high. I need you to help right. me out here. What's it going to cost? And I would be willing to pay the tenant to to do whatever okay. they need to do to get that going. But yeah, that's definitely a concern. David, anything on that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh. I hate to be the bearer of bad news because no one's going to like hearing this, but I just got to shoot straight with you. This comes up all the time when I'm a realtor. I negotiate houses really high and then they appraise lower. And so I've had to do some soul searching about appraisals in general. Guys, here's the honest to God truth. Appraisals are there to give you a false sense of confidence about what something is, quote unquote, (laughs) worth. Okay, the reason you get three different answers from three different appraisers is that it's a fallacy that they can give you a true indication of value. They're giving you an opinion based on several different things. And that's all that it really is. The reality is a house is worth what somebody will pay for it. People that are buying a house tend to look at what other people sold for their house and say, well, if my neighbor sold this, then I'll pay that. Largely an ego thing. But that's just how the human brain works. It wants some form of like uh, context, like where do I fit in this whole scheme? And that's why we use comparable sales. How those are interpreted is completely up to the person Three appraisers will give you three different answers. The best thing you can do is let go of this dream that you can get a number from an appraiser that will tell you what your house is worth because it doesn't exist. Okay. It's an opinion. Now, that being said, when you understand how it works, you can make it work in your own advantage. So, I have a story. It's funny that someone was saying, when you're in deep crap, I think you said that, Brandon, because this story involves a lot of crap. I had a listing and we uh, sold it for a really high price, and the appraiser came in and came in low. And I finally got him on the phone and I'm like, how did you not look at these three comparables? And he was actually irritated. The guy was like angry and he had stepped in a pile of dog crap doing the appraisal in the backyard <laughs> and was so pissed about it that he, he was like visibly telling me like you didn't you're kind of even bother picking up the dog crap in his backyard. Like, his house isn't worth as much as that one down the street. And I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? If the, the, the neighbor's house didn't have a messy yard and mine did, it's worth less? But that's where he came up with those numbers. And so 100%, yes, the condition the house is in will affect a human being that is looking at those numbers. It will affect the perspective they have when they're looking at them, and it will have a real-world impact on your deal.
10: All right. So pre inspect it and offer to pay for a cleaning for the tenant, and we... Make, make some cookies when we go. That's and- exactly go. right. That's, that's exactly right.
1: I'm, that's there's a bigger principle in this. One of the things I tell people, like when you get an offer, let's say I'm gonna send an offer for one of my clients, and I can either write the offer for five hundred thousand with twenty thousand in closing costs or four hundred and eighty thousand. It is the exact same thing to the seller. When they open that offer, the first thing every listing agent goes to is they zoom in on the price and they say, What are you offering for the house? And if yeah. you see four eighty it feels like a punch in the gut. And everything you see after that is going through this filter of, I'm pissed. This sucks. I don't like it. And when you go talk to your client, that gets conveyed with how you, you describe that offer. When you see five hundred and you go, ooh, it's full ask. And then later on, you see $20,000 in closing cost credits. You're like, eh, that's not great. But hey, this is a great offer. And then that gets conveyed to the client. So I take advantage of that aspect of human nature that I just accept rather than getting angry about it. And I write my offers in a way that will look really good to the agent who gets it, give them a really good filter to view the rest of it from, and then call them on the phone and give a really good impression, right? If you just understand that's how human beings work, it makes your job easier when it comes to investing. Right. Awesome. Thank you, Michael.
0: Thanks, dudes. Yeah. Thank you for, uh, for jumping in today. And uh, we're going to move on and bring in this time. We're going to try Jenna.
8: How's it going, guys? Hey, Jenna. Uh, so,
0: I'm, I'm, hey guys. you know, it's all right. I, I'm 35 now, so I feel old, but other than that, we're good. You look great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what are yeah. we okay. with today?
8: Okay. Here's my question. We have been investors for quite a while and we're buying our first, we're under contract on our first 16 unit apartment complex. I'm really big on like, you know, passive income, long-term holds. I want to keep them forever. My husband has the, uh, the same perspective, but his idea with this building is to raise rents you know, hold it for a couple of years, do some capital improvements and sell it in a couple years. So I'm just wondering, you know, what do you guys think?
0: Ooh, great question. For me, it's going to come down to the good thing is you can change at any point, right? Like you could change True. next week. You could change, you know, like whatever. So that's the good thing is like real estate gives you that ability. If you get a long-term mortgage, you can at any point you're like, I right, I've had it. We both have our, you know, like had enough that said, like, I think it comes a lot down to a return on a return on equity question. I know, David, you are probably going to go here is like if you hold something forever, you typically start building up massive amounts of equity, but your cash flow is not growing at the same rate your equity is, which means you're getting a lower return on what you could do. Right. So uh, I would just analyze that every single year and just be like, hey, what? Like, am I getting the best? Could I sell this, make 400 grand, put that money into something that makes a higher return and double my cash flow? Because now you're shooting both your guys' needs. You're getting that you care about the passive income and cash flow and he cares more about like getting in, getting it fixed up and moving on. Uh, the most amount of wealth you're likely gonna make on a property or a big chunk of it is in that first year when you buy a property under value and somehow bring it up to a new value. So I like to be able to redo that ever so often. So I just keep jumping. Like Instead of like growing wealth this way, you grow by stair-stepping. Y'all heard it here first, we're making a new thing. Yep. It's called the stair-step method. <laughs> and you, you stair-step it up. And, I think they invented
8: yeah. that in the 80s actually. They might have. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay. So, on that, then what would you, you know, if you're analyzing it every year at first up front, do you, how do you decide, okay, I'm going to do this or that in terms of capital improvements, but maybe not that because we might not keep it? How would you go about making those decisions?
0: Mm, Good question, David. You want to, you want to start with that? You're asking,
1: how do do we decide which capital improvements to make if we don't know if we're going to keep it or sell it? Yeah. 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 Because you don't want to put money into it and then you're going to sell it.
8: Right. Or some, but maybe not as much as you would.
1: Yes. If it's uh, you, you probably put, if you don't know if you're going to sell it or not, the only improvements you make would be the kind that would affect the sale price. So most cosmetic stuff, you're going to get a little bit more rent and you are going to get more sale. Once you know, I'm going to keep this thing for a long time. That's when I put more money into the roof and maybe upgrading the electrical, the foundation, some of the stuff that makes it a better investment for you, but isn't going to translate as well into the open market.
0: Cool. Spot on. Very cool. Well, Jenna, thank you for joining us today. Next we're going to bring in I'll we go with Justin Taylor. Justin, you've been here a little while. Justin, welcome to the podcast. How you doing, man? Where are you where, where are you calling from? Uh Jonesboro, Arkansas. I've been in Louisiana the last
11: my, my entire life. I actually moved up here. It's crazy. I moved up here and uh I met a wholesaler and and we started a wholesaling company back in August and picked up about 20 flips and wholesaled 15 deals, but it's crazy cuz back in May I was graduating with a pre-med degree, but I don't know. It's Wait, see so what?
0: Uh, a year ago, you were pre med, graduating pre med. Then you just decided to start a wholesale company. You've done how many deals since then? We've had 20 flips and 15 wholesale deals since 20 then. 20 flips and 15 wholesale deals in the first year? And I,
11: I've picked up one flip personally in a duplex, actually, house hack in it. So it's, uh, and honestly, it's, that's kind of the whole, that was kind of the main reason I was hoping I could speak today. Cause one of the things that like I got into this was I've, I don't think I've missed a single one of your podcasts and I've read probably every book y'all had out there. And, and it's cool because like there's such an overload of information y'all provide. But at the same time, it's like, i got that analysis paralysis and it's like, like, where do I begin? And, and the thing I really wanted to speak on was like, man, the change that got me into it was when I really started focusing internally. Like what, like, I feel like your mindset like is what's really going to change you and get you into it. Because like, a lot of that uh people get scared and they get overloaded and it's like, Man, just, just learn seventy percent of it and learn the rest on the way. Like just, just stuff like that. And I know you, you actually spoke on a podcast like that. You had mentioned you said, Man, this podcast is gonna be a little different. I'm not gonna speak on real estate. We're gonna focus a little more on mindset. I don't remember which one that was, but I think that's that's my biggest advice is just from what I've learned is like that mindset, like where are you mentally?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it is so much of a mental game. I, mean, I have a performance coach that he tells me all the time, like, you're going to expand to the level at which your like, mind can allow the expansion. And you know, like, if you're, if you're mentally there, like you'll, you'll do it. You don't have to know everything. hundred percent. Like you said, learn as much as you can. And then at some point just jump in, man. Is that like the best that like for those people who are, who are in your shoes a year ago saying, I'm just starting this thing. Like, what's the, what's like, any other final advice? I mean, you'd give people for, uh, you know, getting their first year, just launching like you did,
11: man. I, uh, I actually wrote down a quote right here. It, it was like, it said, uh, systems help ordinary people achieve greatness. And I think what's so important about that is like your daily routine and your mornings and your systems throughout the day. For instance, I get up, I get up at 4:30. I go to the gym and I, and I read for about 45 minutes and then I start my day by eight o'clock. And it's like, it's a, I mean, you don't have to get up at 4:30. That's just what works for me. And to me, it's just that little bit you put in every day. Like that, it's going to be crazy where that leads you to like, I have for about the last year of my life, I've, I've stuck pretty disciplined to that. And, I, and the, the guy I'm with made me COO of his company, and he's running that CEO position. And uh, I don't know. I just feel blessed. It's, uh, and it's cool because a lot of that is started with what I, when I was listening to all your podcasts. And it, it,
0: I don't know. It's just awesome. That's awesome, man. Well, thank you, for, uh, thank you for sharing that. Very, very cool.
1: And then I want to point out to everybody else. If you just heard him say that and you realize he's probably making more money than a doctor would be without all the student debt without the eight years of time yes has to wait. In the new book I'm writing for Bigger Pockets, I actually point out this. Most people in America would say, heck yeah, I'd be a doctor if you gave me the shot. But real estate investors, real estate agents, and real estate people can make much more money than doctors without the lifestyle. The reason is his mindset allows Justin to do the thing that none of us want to do. Wholesalers are out there, boots on the ground, facing rejection, getting told no, creatively trying to solve problems, having upset people yell at them in order to find that golden nugget that everybody wants. And that's why they do so good. So it what he's saying is absolutely right. The reason Justin can excel and succeed in that world is he's he has a mindset that allows him to do whatever has to be done. So before people get upset and say, well, why are wholesalers making so much money? Because they're doing what you won't. They're calling the angry people. They're cold calling. They're knocking on doors. They're spending money up front to get leads coming in. They're doing it for six to nine months at a time before they get that opportunity. And if you, too, get your mindset to the point that you're willing to do whatever it takes, you could have the same success a guy like Justin has. So thanks for sharing that, Justin. Very inspirational. Yeah, I
11: appreciate man. it.
3: Thank you. We're always looking for ways to improve. Searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every lender loves to talk about how easy it is to get a mortgage. Then when it's time to fund your next deal, they ask for your full financials, your blood type, your mother's famous spaghetti recipe, and a map to the fountain of youth. Sound familiar? You got all that handy, right? Why not switch to a lender who actually makes qualifying for a loan easy? A lender like Host Financial. Host Financial takes the tedious tax returns, endless W-2s, and time-consuming financial requests out of the picture. Their light dock and common sense underwriting guidelines mean frictionless transactions every time. You'll even be able to use the actual or projected income of the short-term or long-term rental you're looking to purchase or pull equity out of. That's what lending built for investors looks like. So take the next step and grow your portfolio faster. Visit hostfinancial.com to request a quote in as fast as 60 seconds, which is faster than this ad. If not it's pretty close. That's host, h o s t financial.com. Again, that's host, h o s t Transactions own multiple businesses. Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access them all from one centralized login. Okay, I'm just I'm going off script here. That is cool. It's annoying that I have to log into ten business accounts with my current bank. So go sign up for RelayFi because that's a, that's a feature that I like. No monthly fees or minimums, and it takes just ten minutes to sign up. Head on over to RelayFi.com/slash/biggerpockets for stress-free banking. You can join me because I'm heading on over there right now. I'm heading on over to RelayFi.com. Slash Bigger Pockets Relay is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by ThreadBank, member FDIC. The Relay Visa debit card is issued by Thread Bank pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted.
0: All right, so we are one hour into this uh, recording here, roughly. Now we're going to move into what we call the uh, we'll call it a lightning round, fire round, which basically just means we're going to try to get more people in in a sh- little shorter period of time. So, uh, if you guys got a question, those people who are here right now, if you got a question ready. We'll bring you in we'll talk about it but we're just gonna we're gonna attempt to get more people fit into the next time so okay let's go next let's go justin i'm gonna bring justin in with the white hat justin welcome to the show
12: yeah how you doing man hey good to see you guys long time listener first time caller Sweet. reading the good books all that good stuff and everyone's reading um, burr everybody
0: keeps talking about hey, burr. Yeah, burr. all
12: in right on, on burr um, yeah. hey man i've got a quick question my lease i rent right now currently and my lease goes up in uh, at the end of the year like in december and my goal is when my current lease goes up, I either want to house hack with like an FHA loan for a duplex or tri or quad or be set on a house to burn. My question is, uh, I don't have a ton saved up. I've got like, well, by the end of the year, I probably have about 15000 set aside on a savings account. And then I actually had the coronavirus. I'm totally fine, totally good. But that actually allows me to pull out everything from my retirement with no penalty right now if I want to do that. uh, I've got about, well, by the end of the year, I should have about 15,000 in there. So question one is, should I pull that money out of retirement? And two, any suggestion if I should go
0: house hack or burn? Mm. All right, so... Pulling out of retirement, like whether you tax free or you know, penalty free or not, is always a tough, a tough thing. I generally lean toward. I'm okay pulling money out of retirement, but I would prefer not to do it on the first deal. I would rather find a way to do it with the first deal without, if possible, uh, because you want to make sure that the money you, you're act like because people don't always make a lot of money in their first deal, so it kind of sucks. Now, if it's your only way, I would still say that's better than not doing anything at all. Um, that said, like I like retirement accounts because they kind of serve as a uh, a backup plan, so to speak, right? Like it's there no matter what. So uh, that's my my opinion is is I would try to do the first thing without pulling the retirement account, try to find another way to do it. Again, like finding a, a house hack where you can put three and a half percent down and not do the pull that money would be my ideal. And yeah, I think I would aim for a house hack before Burr. What do you think, David?
1: Yes, house hack before Burr, simply because it's going to be less risky. And without us having enough time to kind of dive into this during the lightning round, We'd be really hesitant to tell you to pull money out of our retirement, which we, which your first couple of deals or first deals often like a loss. You're learning. You don't want to use your retirement for your education in real estate. So find some other way to raise that money. And see if there's even like you know government grants that you can use to buy a house. Act that'd be much better to get your feet wet with. And once you have a reasonable level of security, then we can say use your retirement.
0: Okay. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Yep. Awesome. Thanks, Thank you, Justin. All right, William Hood, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. Welcome.
13: All right, so um, I'm actually from the same place that Henry Washington's from. He was on your podcast not too long ago.
0: Yeah, he's awesome. Um, twenty two years old. Where was that? Remind me. Where's Henry at?
13: Northwest Arkansas.
0: Okay, that's right. That's right.
13: Yeah, I'm twenty two years old, and uh, the biggest issue starting off in real estate was having uh, banks take you serious. So, me and my wife, we got married in December. We started an LLC in February. Go straight in closing on our first deal this month, actually. And, um, got it for 80,000 praise, you know, probably appraisal come in around 150, 145. My question is how can I, after we get this deal done and it goes exactly as planned, how can we use that first house. The best way to leverage to two more deals.
0: Are you going to live in the house? Is that for your Like primary?
13: No, I'm, I'm in my primary house right now. We have, we own another house. So
0: yeah. David, you want to start with that Yeah,
13: one or
1: I or... think I was going the same way as Brandon. If you're living in it, you could take it out of HELOC on it, got access since you got so much equity and roll that over into that next one. Do you have a, enough equity in your primary to do a HELOC?
13: I think I have 25,000, so probably not. Probably not
1: a ton there. I would probably look at just buying another house hack to get from your primary into something else, which now gives you the ability to cut down your expenses on where you are right now. If you can get another deal like the one you just found, get into it and access the equity through a home equity line of credit, that'd be an easy way. The other one would just be you'd have to leverage it a lot more, pull more money out than you put in, like, like the burn method. So if you could go get a loan on it for 120 dollars or something like that, you'd probably walk away with 30 to $40,000, which you could use on the next property. Just have to make sure it cash flows if you do that.
0: Yeah, I was going to say basically that same thing is you could just go and like, if you can get the thing to price for 150 and you can go get a 75% loan to value loan on it, you could probably even get 80% from a local bank there. Yeah. Like you could pull out 120 grand, pay off the 80, now you got 40K and just go and use that uh, split it in half. You got 20K for two different properties, buy them for 100K each, 20% down, there's your two deals. Uh, of course, you got to get the bank to be able to prove it. You got to have the right loan to value, but that's probably the route I would take.
13: Gotcha. All
0: right. Well, that was my
1: question. Right, Congrats. Man. And you may have a hard time getting banks to take you serious at 22, but they'll always take that debt to income ratio serious. So keep, <laughs> keep living fiscally responsible and you'll be able to keep getting financing.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh. All right. Thanks, thanks, guys. Thank you, William. All right. We're going to go uh, next to Jeremy Dubois. Du Dubois, I don't know, the guy with a better beard than me. Welcome. Uh, welcome to the show.
10: Hey, thanks for having me, guys. So my question is actually a little bit different. Um. First of all, I just want to say thank you to you guys for changing my life. Uh-huh. It uh, I'm now officially financially free. I get to work because I love it and change people's lives. So it's really really cool, and that's literally because of two years ago I started to listening to a podcast, and that happened to be you guys. So congrats on that for changing many people's lives. the uh, The question that I have is not directly real estate related because. kind of already at that point. So I'm into a phase now in life where I want to kind of better myself and just be a better human and be more well-rounded. But what podcast do you guys listen to or or what do you read as far as living a more well-rounded life? Brandon's going to give you his life and air plug. Go ahead, Brandon.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't actually thought of that until you said it, but I do love the book Life and Air. Uh, It's like millionaire, but with the word life. Yep. I, I listen to uh, like, for example, um, Brendan Burchard has a podcast. Uh, he has several different ones over the years. I can't remember what the newest one's called, but it's basically, I think it's called the Brendan show. So okay. Brendan Burchard is kind of like a personal development guru, kind of like Tony Robbins. So I listen to Brendan a, a, a fair amount. There's a book called the wealthy gardener, which is pretty fantastic. Yeah. Yep. Uh, MJ DeMarco's unscripted is really, really good. Yeah, really. Like, there's like those different areas of your life, right? There's like, there's like, I think I called it once like the five Fs. It's, like your 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 family, your finances, your fitness, your faith, and your something else I'm missing in there. Uh, so I try to just like always be looking at like the biggest thing for me is to always be like trying to figure out am I level across all of them? And like this is one thing the book, the one thing talks a lot about is sometimes you go out of whack in one of them, but you just can't let them go out of whack for too long. So I'm just always trying to think like where do I need help? Like right now I have a company I. I uh, been doing for like a year and a half now called My Body Tutor because I felt like I needed to yep. lose some weight. So I, I focused on that pretty intently. And then it's like, I want to build a real estate business up. So I focused on a lot of like the bigger real estate stuff. So I know, that's what I kind of focus on. What about you, David?
1: I got two things. There's a podcast called The Essential 11 by my buddy, Matt Bodrow. He's involved in the Acton Academy uh, education system that I probably can't describe that here, but it basically is trying to teach kids entrepreneurial skills that will help them succeed in today's environment as opposed to just the, you know, sit in the same chair, Raise your hand, answer a question that was designed to help you succeed in right. kind of the uh, industrial revolution type of an environment. He does a really good podcast where he interviews uh, different people and asks some questions about how you became a successful entrepreneur, and a lot of it has to do with personal development. Uh, so that's one thing that I really like. And then I've embraced a philosophy that I've coined myself called the Barrel of Monkeys. And do you remember those toys with those little red monkeys where they can I know precisely their arms what you're talking about? Yeah. So what I've I've tried to do in my life is I always have people that are ahead of me where I'm trying to go and I'm looking up to them and that helps me stay humble no matter how successful I am. I'm seeing people more successful than me and I'm watching how they do what they do and I'm taking pieces of advice and I come underneath their mentorship and when they give me constructive criticism or even non-constructive criticism I take it. And then I always I also make sure there's people beneath me so to speak that I'm mentoring to them. I'm helping give them a hand up. And as long as I've got one hand up and one hand down, I never get a big ego because I'm only dealing with people beneath me and I never get too self-centered to where I'm always taking from other people. I'm taking what I learned and I become a conduit that passes that That's down bad. to other people. And then you always like, if you think about a pipe, that is, it can't generate heat on its own, but if it's full of hot water all the time, it gets to enjoy the benefit of hot water as the heat transfers to the pipe. So I look at all the things I want in life, whether you call that love, wisdom, success, friendship and i make sure that i'm a conduit of that for other people so like brandon and i are in a group called go abundance well a lot of people don't have access to a group like that so i take those philosophies and i pass them through things like this to people who wouldn't have it and then i get to experience their joy their excitement their success all the stuff that i did before and at the same time i get access to people that are doing things that i wouldn't have even thought to do
10: I love love that answer. And again, it's a, a David Green analogy. What a surprise! It so is,
0: David, uh, Surprise! Surprise! But thank you guys so much. Well, Jeremy, thank yes. you for joining us today. Uh, we're gonna bring in next C. Levon. What's Good. up, Chris? Good to see you guys, Brandon, and David. Thank you so much. You too. Another guy it's with an epic, sure. another epic beard. I love it. Oh yeah, I've been working on this for four months. I've been full time working for a little bit now. Yeah. Oh. How can we help you? Weird
14: scenario, I bought my first rental property three years ago. And one of the objectives was to remove PMI because I bought it conventionally 30 or 15% down. Turns out it appraised 50,000 more than I thought it would, which was great. So I saved 30 bucks a month removing PMI. Now I'm in a new quandary, and I'm trying to figure out which would be the most valuable way to refi this thing uh, and pull some of that equity out. And my options, I think obviously I could sell it, which I'm not trying to do because I'm a buy and hold investor. I could take a HELOC somehow off the top, which might be a little bit tough because the percentage isn't quite there. And then I could also refinance it in my name again or refinance it into my commercial LLC bank. So between the last two, refi in my name, cash out refi or commercial, which would you pick between those two?
0: Mm. So you got some equity in a rental property you want to pull out some of the equity. So the avenue is what's the best refinance method. There's one you didn't me- mention that I would definitely look into is you can do a HELOC as a first mortgage and just pay off the entire mortgage with all a HELOC. So that's something, something to look into. I, I, it's something I've not personally done, but I know a number of investors who have and have okay. found success. It's typically a small local community bank that will do that. But the benefit is you can go up to 90% of the loan to value with no uh, PMI closing required costs. and no closing costs as well. And so that I would now the downside is you may have an adjustable rate mortgage, but usually they cap that at like 11% or 12% uh, and they can only go up so much anyway. And so it might not be actually a, a bad thing to look into that. So I would at least look into that. And if not, I'd go with the security of a, a brand new 30 year, 70%, you know, uh, LTV refinance, like 70, to 80%, you know, LTV refinance and try to just completely redo the whole loan. But David, what do you think?
1: You always want to look at the cheapest loan you can get first and see if you can, which a HELOC is almost always your cheapest option. Then it would be like a rate and term or a cash out refi over an amortized period of time, like a 30-year fixed rate. And then if that doesn't work, an adjustable rate mortgage. And if that doesn't work, a a portfolio loan. If that doesn't work, a, a commercial loan. So I don't know enough of the specifics of your deal to tell you which one to do, but you should start with that progression. Exactly where Brandon said And then if you get all the way to the end and the only one you can do is a commercial loan, that's kind of where I am with a lot of my deals. Then you just find a way to make that work. But you start with the most efficient, cheap loan you could possibly get and use all those up before you get into the
14: commercial stuff. Okay, cool. I like that approach. I was thinking portfolio, maybe stacking them up. That would be the long-term goal. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't want to kill my cash flow either. So I appreciate the help and and thank you guys. I've been a long time uh, lurker, listener, and looking forward to the next BPCon. I, I got to see you guys up in Nashville. so
0: Yeah, so I, I really
1: want to do that again. I
0: yeah. know. I was really bummed out that they had to, they had to postpone this year because of COVID. But we'll make it happen, man. And yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll hang out in person again. Well, thank you, Chris.
15: Appreciate
0: it. Appreciate it. All right, let's bring in Johnny. All right, Johnny, welcome.
15: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Yeah. Where are you at?
15: Uh, I am in the western suburbs of Chicago.
0: Okay. All right. So out there in the, in the, the no, Midwest. No I I'm a Midwester myself, Midwesterner, what we call that? We'll call it that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so what, what can we help you with?
15: So, I mean, um, I am a casualty of this whole COVID thing. I lost my job, you know, with oh, everything nice. going on. So if you were gonna start at ground zero and you had like, let's say 20 grand to invest, and wanted to take more of a real estate path, what would you take? And, and to give you a little background there, um, I started investing last year. So we own uh, two properties and five doors. So we've got some cash flow coming in from those.
0: Okay. So if you, you currently don't have a job right now, Johnny, right? Because you just lost it, right? No, no
15: job right now. Just using the time to improve the current rental properties that we have and actually like re- renovating our entire house. Uh, just finished with the basement and uh, moving my way up.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, there's a couple options here. I'll throw at you. Number one, it's just kind of based on your personality and what you're interested in. Number one, if you've got some, you got some savings right now, the 20 grand is enough to live for a while, probably if you had to, where I would pursue, cause it's gonna be hard to get a loan without a job. It's gonna be hard to do full-time real estate. So I would either a find a partner. I tell the story a lot on the podcast about Greg, my partner in Maui, who we flip houses together. I put the money in. he does the work. He doesn't have the money. In, he does hustles like crazy. And he's really good at it. You've got experience, which is great. You could probably find people with money to fund your deals, whether you do some flips and then start buying some rentals with the proceeds. And you could start because you have to have income coming in somehow, right? You can't just live off cash flow right now because you don't have enough cash flow coming in to live off forever. And it's going to take a number of properties to get there. So how you can get money? Either option A, start flipping houses with a partner funding your deal. Uh that way you have the security of not having to because they got the they got the money and the you know the ability to get the mortgages and all that. Uh if you had to, if you couldn't sell a property if the market crashes, you could refinance it because you have this partner who could get a mortgage. And then I would just start flipping houses for money and then using that as my job, so to speak, to be able to get back into normal life. And you never have to have a job again. And the alternative is go get yourself a new job as fast, like as quickly as you can and just keep doing what you're already doing with the buying rentals, saving money. But man, right now, I think it'd be an interesting time to try to find that partner and flip houses to, uh, it, if it, yeah, to I, make money.
15: I love that you said that as an option. I'm, I'm actually closing on a house, uh, next week that I partner with somebody on, nice, uh, to you, defer, uh, you know, we have an option to either flip it or keep yep. it as a rental. And then uh, I have another house that I'm under contract for from a partner that I met for bigger pockets at the end of August.
0: That's awesome. So, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. So you're already on that, on that point. I think you're doing exactly what you should be doing there, but David, what do you think?
1: Yeah. I think that the traditional methods only work if you can get financing. A lot of investing in real estate is dependent on getting a loan so that you only have to come up with the down payment. So if that part's gone, you almost have to take a business approach okay, well, I'm going to start some kind of real estate enterprise or business with $20,000. I got to go find partners and I got to play a role in this business to turn that into more money. So that's the road I would
15: take if I was you. Okay. Awesome. One other thing, um, I'll be traveling for like the month of uh, August. We bought a motorhome when I lost my job because we wanted to do some traveling. Uh, what areas you know, across the country would you guys you know, say to look, look at investment properties? Um, oh, well, they're going to say for,
0: for the fun of driving. I was going to say South Dakota. I love it. But uh, like RVing through South Dakota is the best thing for rental properties. Oh, man. I mean like every area works, right? But uh, yeah. if it were me, if I was going to go out and look for rentals, I'd go South, w- Southeast America. So Georgia, Carolinas, Florida, uh, uh, you know, oh, that whole, that whole area, Louisiana, uh, even down to maybe in Texas a little bit. That's, that's where I'd focus if it were me, especially if you're trying to find like a, I don't know, apartment complex or something like in one big shot that i i like that area a lot yep i agree 100 percent. okay cool awesome. thank you very much appreciate you being here and uh yeah go get them go get your 10 deals and come on the bigger pockets podcast to tell us about it on a whole episode so go do it cool guys all righty well and that was uh that was our show that was fun
1: that was really fun
0: yeah we should i want have to know it.
1: what the listeners thought where's the best place for them to give us their feedback Probably show notes. And you can go on our Instagrams and you could probably comment there. But yes, it would be nice if we could see it in the show. Did you guys like it? Do you not like it? Did you get something out of it? How often would you like to see this? We're doing everything we can to make this as fun as possible for
0: you All right, well, we'll try to do these again in the future. For those uh, you know, if, if you have not yet left a rating and review on the Bigger Pockets podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever, go leave us a rating and review. It really helps reach more people. And make sure you are not just listening, but you're doing something. So join Bigger Pockets is a free membership to join. Uh, and if you want to take it to the next level, we also have a pro membership. You can also do that and learn more about that on Bigger Pockets. So, with that said, thank you so much. Hope you guys have a fantastic day. David Green, you want to take us out of here?
1: Yeah, this is David Green for Brandon Lightning Round Turner
2: signing up.
0: You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying
2: real estate for investors, large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from biggerpockets.com, your home for real
3: estate investing online.